Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. This is the Market Report for wheat commencing 1st of October 2018. I'll start with wheat, although I've not got much to say. Um, Like last week, very dull, going sideways, probably easing downwards in our opinions. There's nothing particularly bullish out there. Things to watch out for, Australian frost. We don't know the damage of that yet. Five or six weeks' time, we'll know for sure what damage has been done. Could well be a bullish story. Politics, number one, Brexit. Number two, Putin. Number three, Trump. No comment about the last two because we've talked about it before. Brexit, um, there's been an article in The Guardian this week which has uh, explored the the probability of export embargoes. Brexiteers no doubt will downplay that, but the rules appear to say that we will have a six-month embargo of exports while we renegotiate uh, the terms of how we can and can't export into uh, the EU. Brexit is seriously a big risk to your business um, or a big opportunity uh, for grain prices we're talking specifically here. I'll move on to something else. Feed barley is boring. Several samples of malting barley have been rejected recently and they are coming into the feed market. There was some late cut spring barleys that had a bit of a pre-germ problem. It had been very dry, a little bit of damp on it and, and they, they quickly pre-germinated. So they're getting rejected and they are coming onto the market to, to add a bit of supply to consumers at the moment. Lots of the barleys that were um, accepted into maltings have had a very high screening level and although those screenings um, are, are tipped in the pit and everyone thinks every ton is used the reality is that the molster has to screen down that sample to get to the good stuff so those allowances you receive are real because the stuff comes out and goes out as a, a lower quality feed and there is a significant number of screenings coming out from molsters into the feed market. So that will stay subdued, it won't drop dramatically, um, and hopefully the wheat market having a bit of a rally at some point will give it a bit more price to it later. Not much of a downside. While we're on the subject of barley, I want to have a little rant. Now that there's some winter barley emerging in the fields, farmers are looking at it and thinking, I need to do a contract on some of that. There is an association with actually physically seeing the, the crop planted and germinating. And my issue is this, if you compare front end price as the best thing, quite often... Uh, in my opinion, you are making a big mistake. And if you take a direct comparison of a forward price for winter or spring barley, someone bids you one or two or three pounds more for it. That sounds fantastic at this point in time. Ten months down the line when you're harvesting it and it's a little bit thin or it's a little bit high in nitrogen or it's it's a little bit too damp or, or something's slightly wrong with it, how does that intake point react and what do they do when the market's in a much, much more advantageous to buy spot instead of these expensive forward contracts? And if you take the example of this year, direct comparisons of screenings, we've seen differences of over £30 a tonne on the claims between our intake point and some of the other intake points locally. Now, I think that's a really important point. If you take direct comparison with 
a winter barley, 72% retained barley from this harvest, we claimed £8 a tonne because we reduced our retention level to 80. Other companies, although they were given that dispensation by the molsters, didn't. And we've seen claims as high as £29 a tonne for the same thing. So if you're comparing like for like and someone bids you £2 more, remember the £21 extra you might get claimed on screenings. That's my little rant because it really does bug me if you compare like for like purely on front end price. Stop ranting now. Gone to some positive stuff. Allseed rape. My rape trader is trading very well. He's got the market right. Shock. <laughs> Values of rape, 320x for November. The price is up. Still feel friendly to it. There's there's all the reasons we've given in the past about um, Europe being short. Still exist. I don't know quite where this, this year's value is going to go to, but we're happy at the moment with a with an upward moving market gradually. It's not going to go to the moon. It's, you know, 350 is probably too high, but 320x is where we're at at the moment. And if you add your bonus to that, it begins to get into a nice healthy place against budget. New crop rape is the one we really want to just emphasize. We don't think you should sell. The French have just announced their plantings for rape is down 13% which is over half a million tonnes less than uh, than their normal projected acreage or tonnage. And that is a very bullish story. So with the already uh, mentioned flea beetle from previous weeks, the value for a new crop oilseed rape is £310 a tonne. We think it's not a sell yet. We think it's a great forward harvest price. And if you, if you feel like uh, doing the opposite of what we suggest, then by all means sell it because it is a great harvest price. But we see that market remaining firm for the time being. The only other thing I want to talk about is um, is beans. Um, the trade for beans is going to have to accept out of spec or much worse quality samples or higher insect levels than they normally do. So beans means show doing grain a sample. In other words, they have really good prices and they're not going to go down. But, you know, you need to get out there and, and, and get that sample analysed. It may well get a human consumption premium. Will the price ever get to be enough to make up for the lack of yield that you've had? No, it's it was a disaster, hence the price increase. But if there are any unsold beans out there, we would really love to see them. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. RTK Farming is the UK's leading independent supplier of RTK signal to the farming industry. With RTK delivered via radio or SIM card, RTK Farming can work with any make of GPS equipment, from aftermarket systems such as Trimble and Topcon to factory-fitted equipment. With low annual subscription costs and discounts for multiple vehicles, RTK Farming is the solution. For more information, go to rtkfarming.co.uk. And now it's time for our feature. Today I've got with me Jimmy Gray, Norfolk's favourite haulier. And um, he does has been working with me since I came to Elgin in 1996 pretty well every single day. So welcome, Jimmy. How do you do? So how many loads have you tipped so far today? We've just tipped one load this morning. Okay. And I mean, the time now is uh, nearly 12 o'clock. So yes. something gone wrong? Yeah, we were delayed at a consumer. Um, Took us the, the lorry in front of me, took over an hour to tip, where it should normally took about half an hour. So, uh, yes, we've been delayed. <laughs> Were you pulling a happy face all the way through that? Or? No, not no, far <laughs> from it. 
Yeah, <laughs> certainly. You know, we were expecting you an hour ago, and I, and, and you know, every single day, the the, the plan uh, on a piece of paper is one thing, and then a load gets rejected, and out the window it goes. Yeah, it can work out different. Yeah, very different. So the next load that you've just picked up from Aylsham is is yes. now heading. This is heading for Stowe Market. Okay, excellent. Well, that'll definitely get in because it's such good quality stuff out of Aylsham. Well, we'd like to think <laughs> so. <laughs> so, how, how long have you been running your own haulage business? Since 1980. Okay, and what made you do that? There were not enough room on the farm at home, and I decided, uh, well, I decided before 1980 I wasn't going to be at home on the family farm, so... Uh, I went and worked other places, and then I decided I would do my own thing. Okay. And that was 1980 when I started just with one tractor unit, um, and now we run ten. Okay, and and I mean you you're the 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 man who invented multitasking for blokes, aren't you? Because let's face it, you you not only are driving, but you're actually administering at the same time. That is quite correct. Uh, not as much as I used to, but uh, yes, we're still at it. Yeah, which is which uh, you know gives you uh, a proper place to tell people like me if there's a problem somewhere that needs sorting out. You've told me a number of times over the years you need to have a word with that intake point or or your own intake points. You need to do this, that, or the other. You're yeah. always quick with an opinion, yes. and true. that can only happen if you do it yourself, can't it? Well, that is very true. Yeah. So so as we go into the future, you know, is it is it a, a an industry that is going to grow because we've had a, a dramatic drop in numbers of hauliers. It depends, because um, if to transport the goods further, that's obviously going to need more trucks. Yes, there have been a lot of people uh, duck out, um, are not here now, um, but a lot of them are small ones. But as the smaller ones uh, drop out... The bigger ones either get bigger or some new faces appear on the scene. I mean, uh, you, you talk about travelling further. I mean, last year, lots of grain from East Anglia was trucked up north, wasn't it? That's great. And that we are a surplus area, and other parts of the country are, are deficit areas with Brexit. I guess that is going to be the future. So does that mean more lorries, you think? I think it could mean more lorries. I'm not 100% sure. It all depends what other modes of transport someone will conjure up, i.e. Um, rail. That takes me back. I remember loading polybulkers out of uh, Roxham in the 1980s with milling wheat going to Leith. That took some time to get there, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> I much prefer the lorry approach. Yeah, well, the lorry, the train is normally per ton cheaper than what the lorry is, so that's why the train gets used. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... It doesn't look likely that the train is going to, to answer the problems. You know, in, in East Anglia, you're going to have to lug it from a farm to a uh, site to load at the very best. And there aren't many places you can actually load polybulkers now. That is very true. Uh, which means capital investment, which means I, I, I don't think that's likely. But there is, or there has been, a dramatic drop-off of the numbers of lorries around. What do you mainly put that down to? Low haulage rates. <laughs> <laughs> took at least a minute and a half to get to that point. So, so who is the sinner? Who's the sinner? All of you. <laughs> so the, the merchant, in effect, doesn't pay enough money for haulage from farm to consumer. That is quite correct. So if I, if I gave you a sum and I said that um, November wheat trades at futures price into, let's take an example of a, a consumer, say Duffields at Saxlingham, yeah. 
Um, that's what they'll pay, and if I don't sell it to them, somebody else will. What would it cost to take wheat from North Walsham to Saxlingham? The rate you should be getting should be around about £6 a tonne. Right. So if I said that the, the price that we bid, and we're quite open about our pricing structure, is £7 under the futures, that leaves a very fat, healthy £1 for the merchant. But regardless of what figures you trade at, haulage costs stay the same. They don't go up and they don't go down. No, and, and I think this is this is. I I, I totally agree with you. There, there is a point. I I will never have a lorry with my name on. Famously, there was a, a Norfolk merchant who wanted or aspired to have a hundred lorries with his name on, which was a bit of a stupid thing to do because he ended up going broke. Um, he got close to a hundred lorries, but it was just a. a a very good way to chuck money down the drain. I can't see, unless you're a specialist haulage firm, how you can make money out of running a, running a lorry. You can make a little bit um, if you've got it, um, should we say, small business, up to, you know, half a dozen, ten lorries, uh, and keep control of it. Yeah, no. When, when you get a hundred lorries, it's uh, more difficult to manage, more difficult to control. Yeah, and you must know every trick in the book nowadays to get a backload from somewhere, somehow. Uh, backloads, I don't really know what they are. <laughs> the no. biggest problem with backloads is uh, you have to run distance to get them. Mm. They don't pay you that great, and. Um, at the end of the day, if you're not too far away, it pays you just to run home empty. So what's the best time of year for making money then? Best time of year for making money is harvest time. And that's because... When you get uh, harvest like this year, it's been good because we started early. Um, the weather's been good. We've had no rain. No lorries getting held up, held up because of uh, rain, whereas when it rains, the farms won't load. Mm. And it has been good. We've had six good weeks there, and yes, we have made a little bit. Um, just for the record, I have this is one of the things I have listened to Jimmy on many moons ago. Opening times at our stores are extended, and not closing at three in the afternoon makes a phenomenal difference for farmer and haulier and us. Yes, it makes a very big difference, store and farm, because when the farms are working, combining, they will load you late at night, early in the morning. Whereas when the combines finishes, uh, they don't want to know too much about lorries unless they can get them in there right early in the morning. Yeah, so, so I mean, is there any way you could improve, you know, you must suggest to some consumption points, you know, could you do this, could you do that? How would you get consumers to up their game? Uh, at this moment in time, I, I don't really know because they all set their programme out. They have their own trucks as well. And they um, give you a window uh, to deliver. We've got one consumer who doesn't start till half seven in the morning. And then we've got to be delivered the last load by one in the afternoon. Right. That does not give us a very good window for, you know, uh, keeping the truck busy. So you have to try and do his work in the morning and uh, go other places in the afternoon. The dynamic of real life occurs as well. You know, if you're going down the A11... Or, and there's an accident or you go, you go down a country lane and there's, there's an obstruction and you get stuck, um, there is a problem with reality. You can't get to the place on time. You, you are then stuck and you're stuck until you get moving again. Yeah. And that's how it is. 
Yeah, and then the, and then the consumer moans at you for not turning up for on time. not turning up on time. That's yeah. that's quite correct. Um, but there we are, as we say, that's how it is, and we just have to abide by it. Work the way around it the best way possible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, most most have a, an element of re- reality about them. It's just if you get the box ticker who says you should have been here between that minute and that minute, and and reality can be whatever it is it doesn't mean a thing to them because you weren't there in that space and I, I must admit it's it's frustrating for everyone in that process but yeah. the, the roads around East Anglia nowadays are unbelievably congested and it's getting harder to achieve those delivery times isn't it correct which leads on to I mean things like electronic passports have been talked about you know you're training a lorry driver who is you know particularly good at driving a lorry but not necessarily skillful at IT um what what are your thoughts on electronic passports? Here again, if you can get the people to operate them, yes, they'd be okay. But uh, what happens when you get a client who can't operate the <laughs> do the IT? Um, where do you go from there? Well, my 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 analogy, my favourite kind of analogy on that one is is you got the two guys who were the least good at IT, one of them running the Weybridge and the other one driving the lorry their skills are elsewhere but they're not very good at it and you're asking those two people to be the fine point of getting a lorry tipped with a very high-tech it moment and and when you bring this subject up in the ivory towers of of whichever trade organization that's pushing it they all look at you like you're some sort of moron which obviously i am but but i have had the practical experience of working with the guys who run waybridges and who run lorries and i know that they'll just chuck their telephone in the toilet or down a jacket in a ditch if they get frustrated with it and and the reality is uh, you know we have a system with a piece of paper which we we've got used to and uh, I, I kind of hope it sticks with us for a while yet yeah I think you're probably right um, as long as it sticks for a while but normally what happens they introduce something we all get ourselves all trained up to uh, operate this equipment and then all of a sudden the rules change or something changes and you've got to start again and as you say with the people who are not altogether it minded it, it's bloody difficult yeah and, and and an ivory tower you know on a piece of paper with a with some former graduate who's come up with a brilliant plan yeah it's of course incredibly easy it yes is, yeah, yeah very easy but that client probably doesn't realize the practical uh, of doing the job yeah, and we, getting out there and actually driving a truck or working on a farm to get to understand what's involved. It's all very well for him to make his rules, but, um, you know, can everybody handle it? Well, true. I mean, we've, we've had a number of schemes trialled and used over, over the time. Probably a good example to my mind, although I don't know all the details of it, but the, the uh, sugar beet uh, idea where they decided to take over the haulage and start becoming more efficient. Uh, and they set out with a with a, a system where they were going to basically get a lower haulage rate into their, into their factories. That hasn't ended anywhere further forward than where we started, has it? Yeah, well, they're not any more efficient. The, the, the most efficient ones are the smaller ones, uh, people similar size to myself, we are the more efficient than some of the big operations. Uh, British Sugar think they can get it all done cheap. They have hauliers um, they use every every year, but not the same hauliers, because usually a haulier could do one year and then uh, 
that's it. Uh, you know, they don't do it the second year. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the rates have gone, went down for that period as everyone got undercut. Rate, rates have gone down and people are working at prices that they shouldn't be working at. They yeah. should, should be uh, getting paid more money and, uh, you know, having a sensible return and then the business is there for them the following year. Yeah, and there's a level of service as well to boot, isn't there? If you had someone... I mean, lots of farms simply have dropped their own lorries, haven't they? Well, they certainly have. Which means that the rate was un- unreasonable in the context of what else was done, sweeping up the road and all the other the, the, the service aspects, clearing up the clear-up load, yeah. not just leaving stuff out there. Um, yeah, I, I, my observation is that it was, a, it, on a piece of paper, it's a great idea, but the reality is... We've come back to the same rates at the end of the end. People have come back. Yeah, well, you'll find uh, if, if British Sugar were to pack up sugar beet, you'd find there'd be a lot less holders. Yeah, so in the end, they're still a very good force for good. Yeah. But it was a it was an interesting exercise in how to devastate the haulage fleet in the county as well. Well, like well yes, well, they have sort of contributed to that side of it. But at the end of the day, they're looking for big haulers. They're not looking for small haulers. Mm. They're looking for people to take on, you know, big tonnage uh, and spend money on expensive equipment um, and just hope it works. But um, sugar beet haulage, you're working through the winter. You, there are a lot of things crop up which you can't budget for. Weather's one thing. Um we had a scenario last year where we were getting to a stage where there were no beet to cut because the ground was so wet, the harvesters couldn't uh, work, and um, things just slow up a bit. Mm. Um, you can't work that out on a piece of paper. Anyway, Jimmy, thank you very much for giving us up your time. I know you've got to get to your next fixing in time to cheer the consumer up, but really, thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week, Andrew is joined by one of his traders, Joseph Beardshaw, who used to play professional rugby for Wasps, Glasgow Warriors and the Cornish Pirates, after a childhood spent at North Walsham Rugby Club, where he now coaches the minis. Right, today we've got uh, Joe with us to drink some beer because Webby's getting a bit fat. And we're going we're gonna to review a bitter old bustard, which is a beer from Barsham Breweries, and this beer was the one we actually had at the Alsham show, and it was so popular we cleared two barrels of it out pretty quickly. We were gone by four o'clock, so it went down very well. The, 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 the marketing blurb says that it's a, a russet-coloured ale, and it carries a warm, nutty biscuit flavour coming through a smooth malt body. Let's have a, let's have a little sip just to remind ourselves, shall we? Yep. Yeah. 
agree. <laughs> Same as it was before, isn't it? <laughs> Hasn't changed. Definitely one. We'll probably be looking for something like that at next year's show, I guess, won't we? Yep, something nice and drinkable. Yep, yep. We definitely fully recommend that beer. Bitter old bustard. Let's, let's talk about, um, let's face it, now that you've got a really glamorous job as a grain trader, um, do you miss any of that sort of more boring stuff you did, like rugby playing? Uh, I'd say... We actually got really good off, you know, the office banter, it's really, you know, it's a bit like obviously when I was playing rugby and things, you come in, a bit of chat about what's going on the weekends, and it's very sport-based anyway in the office, so it's still very much a, a, a big part of my life um, anyway, even though I'm not obviously playing rugby anymore, but um, it's, that's good fun. It, do miss it, yes, um, there, is, there, is, there is obviously, you don't miss the pre-season, definitely don't miss that, that was uh, something I was quite happy to say goodbye to. Um, and uh, waking up on Sunday morning after a game and trying to sort of crawl out of bed. Um, now, after something like a works do, feeling quite similar, but uh, without the bruises. The, the hits and everything, everyone talks about how big the hits are and things in rugby. But the thing is that somehow people aren't realising that things are getting worse in the sense of the season is still the same, if not longer, and yet the contact is getting bigger. We, we, were, we were talking about this last night, weren't we? It's something you're quite passionate about. I mean, the, the length of a season is how many games? Well, I mean, you're looking at top end. Um, a top end sort of international player would be 35 plus games a year. But that would be... But the problem is in, that's just the UK. So you've got people in, in, in the Southern Hemisphere and we, you know, no one scratches their head about this. It's just the fact is that they're playing probably 10 or so less games. I was re- reading recently uh, Richie B- uh, McCaw biography, and he was saying, you know, I had a tough year. Um, this is way back, obviously, before he finished, um, before he retired, saying I had a tough year. I, I played 25 games. Now, that, ten, 10 games less is, is enormous on the high impact sport, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's nearly sort of, you know, two, basically one game a week. You know, you're looking at nearly three months extra rugby in the UK. Mm. And, and then you've got to fit in somewhere along the lines, you've got to fit in a pre season. It's the quality of the game is dropping off, but it, my my biggest concern is the fact is we're starting at gra- uh, grassroots. Yeah, because this is something that's happening. At minis. I mean, I, I, my, my son Henry and well, Henry, Henry and Josh both went through minis at North Walsham, and um, it, it started in September. It finished in April. Uh, and, and I think it finished earlier than it does nowadays. It seems to drag on and on yeah. and on now. So you're coaching now, aren't you? Yeah, I, I help out the, um, the with minis for my son, and and I just think there's the problem. What I find is that yes, we've got great coaching, and probably it's more structured, far better than it you know, was when we were younger, growing up, and things. Um, there's more support, but the problem I find is that we got to the end of the season last. Uh, this you know gone and. And we had children that were sort of saying, I can't make this game or can't make this festival because I've got cricket. And I don't think it's right that we should be making children make a decision between choosing a sport at such an early age. Cricket kicks in, what, at the start of April, I guess, is it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if that's the case, you're not going to get, you're either going to have somebody who just plays rugby and doesn't get in the cricket side. You need to, you, well, when, when, when we were young, there was a, an opportunity to play you know, each sport in yeah. its season. But, uh, yeah, and also, th- even if you don't play other sports, you 
what you're going to get is children that have played from the age of, I don't know, say seven years old all the way till they're 17. They've had 10 years of rugby already and they've done probably, I don't know, maybe a good five or six of those have had many, many tournaments. And the unfortunate thing is the drop off in um, attendance for adult games. You look at North Walsham when I was growing up, North Walsham would have had Turn out nearly five sides on a Saturday. Yeah, it was. I was. I've played for every side. Yeah. one to five. And and now we struggle to we struggle to get probably three. I mean, we do well to get three. But the thing is that because people have got other commitments, etc., but they don't feel hungry enough because to some extent there's young lads that are seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. They, it's another drag, it, and and it's and the season goes on too long, so it interferes with the other sort of side of you know work and things. But, but commitment for someone who's not a professional is a, is a big thing nowadays. I mean, every sport is feeling this, aren't they? I mean, people don't commit to playing to a, for a team every single week, mm. and and again, you hark back when I were a lad. Um, if you didn't play, you were dropped, yeah. and there was loads of people trying to yeah. get your place, and and you were you didn't want to be dropped, you didn't want to miss a single game, mm. but there wasn't as as many games. No, and I think they kept you hungry, and you enjoyed obviously the you know the going of the new season and things. But guys are dragged out. I mean, there are so many good players that end up sort of going to the wayside because they they can't commit the the time and effort and if and if we have away games and things some of the the guys at North Walsham they're on a bus trip leaving at 7 mm. coming home at 1 in the morning yeah i i think i think where it it really misses out is those lower sides the thirds and the fourths when everybody wanted to go to the fourth team dinner and so you'd have to have a game for the fourth sometime in the season to qualify to get to the fourth team dinner. But it, it was an opportunity for someone who perhaps couldn't play or didn't really commit to it could turn up, play for a side because, you know, you're always short or you, can, you know, shove them in somewhere. Um, and if they enjoyed that, they then kind of got the bug and then developed and got into the thirds or the seconds or the first. It, yeah. it, there was something where... It was a place for people who hadn't committed to it, who hadn't done pre-season training, who were quite good and thought, oh, I'll, I fancy a bit of rugby, yeah. and they get the bug again. But that opportunity's just not there. You can't, you're either now in, in a good, hard competitive game instantly, there's none of this no. fat old 40-year-olds trying, yeah. trying to tackle you and you can run around them easily so you feel good. It, those blokes have retired, there's nowhere for them yeah. to there isn't. vent there their isn't. frustrations anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's a shame. And I think at the other end of the spectrum, you compare contact sports, any other contact sports in the world, such as ice hockey or American football. The American football season or the American football in the NFL is one of the most successful professional sports out there. They play for four months. We yeah, play wow. for 10 months. Does it seem to diminish you know, the, 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 the enjoyment? You look at America, how much it's followed by an NFL it's huge and mm. people are you know we've just now had announcement about um the premiership having new investment and and they're sort of bounding around figures that it's worth 250 million and i think the uk premiership one of the premiership mccaffrey i think said something like it he believes it's worth twice that but the thing is that anyone putting their money in will want a longer season like football mm. and they and it's a continuous sort of exposure because they want 
their brand to be there. But unfortunately, it doesn't need to necessarily be that way, proven by the fact of the success of the NFL or yeah. other sports. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Aylsham's favourite sons, the Youngs brothers, would uh, appreciate a drop back in games, wouldn't they? Oh, most definitely. I think, um, yeah. Tom uh, can do some farming. <laughs> Tom can do some farming. I think most of the guys I played rugby with, I spoke to them over the years, and most of them, unfortunately, have probably finished their career under the knife. Yeah. Yes, it's um, the exact opposite of grain trading, isn't it? Yeah. No, you know, all (laughs) all the glamour and none of the violence. (laughs) Thanks very much, Joe. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.